<coughs> I wasn't doing that for dramatic effect. That wasn't to illustrate a point. I've been doing that all day. I'm still feeling ill. So I thought I'd quickly tell you this story about a time when I was ill as a child. As I'm ill now, I'm reflecting on previous illnesses. And I remembered this little story of when I was ill as a kid. All I had was a bit of a headache or something like that. And I woke up and I said I didn't want to go to school because I was feeling ill. And my mum was like, no, no, you'll be fine. I don't think you're that bad. I'll give you some junior disprol or whatever it was called. Calpol or whatever it was that you had when you were a kid. She gave me some tablet or something. Said, you'll be fine with that. Off you go. Anyway, as the day progressed at school, I just felt worse and worse. I wasn't that I felt particularly ill. The illness sort of evaporated, but I just felt really tired and slovenly. And I kept falling asleep during lessons, and like completely falling asleep, and the teacher would wake me up and I'd just fall asleep again. So in the end, they had to send me home. I just couldn't keep my eyes open. They thought, well, this is a weird sort of illness. You know, like I'm just stood up and I just keep slumping and falling asleep. And my parents were quite worried, and so they took me to the doctors just to make sure everything was all right. And said about the symptoms and made sure I got sleep. And they said, this is very unusual. You know, it could actually be quite worrying if he is just like stood up and then fallen asleep it could be low blood sugars it could be all this kind of thing so I went through a series of tests and they said well we we can't really find anything you know wrong with him as such I think you take him home but if he doesn't improve in the morning we might need to get him sort you know checked out for diabetes and all of this kind of thing and the doctors were really sort of a bit worried about it and my parents were a bit anxious anyway I got home and my mum thought well maybe give him a little bit more cowpaw send him to bed and hopefully he'll just sleep it off and you wake up in the morning and everything will be fine so she went to the table where she'd left the cowpaw and she picked it up and she realised that she hadn't given me cowpaw she hadn't given me whatever she thought she'd given me she was obviously a bit tired and a bit flustered with getting the other my brothers ready for school as well and somehow she'd ended up giving me night nurse so she'd given me this rather hefty dose of night nurse instead of the tablet that she thought she'd given me. So that was basically the reason why I was falling asleep. It's because my mother had drugged me, essentially. And all the rigmarole of going to the doctors and getting all these tests and saying, oh, you might have diabetes and stuff. Anyway, so when my mum took me to school the next day, the teachers were like, oh, yes, um, it was a bit worrying. Did you actually find out what was wrong? And my mum just was like, oh, I don't know. We, we, we couldn't work out what it was, but he's fine now, you know, because she didn't want to say, oh, I gave him, you know, I, I essentially drugged my own son. So uh, she just pretended that she didn't know what it was and she said, oh, I suppose it was one of those weird things, just like a bit of a bug or something, I suppose. <laughs> the doctor said it was probably nothing to worry about. So there you go. It's the first time that story has ever been told. Actually, while we're doing medical confessions, I suppose I could tell you this story. But I feel really bad about this. This is something I feel really bad about. And I don't know whether I should admit it, because it's not... Bearing in mind I was in primary school when this happened. I feel a bit bad about it, even to this day. In fact, I suppose you could say that's a bit of a, a good cliffhanger there. And as yesterday's dollop was over 12 minutes, maybe I'll split this dollop into two parts. And in dollop 298, I will tell you this other medical confession which is a bit more serious and a bit more involved and it's something that I did and it's the first time I've ever admitted this and um, I do feel bad about it but I'll confess to you my secret in tomorrow's dollop dollop 298 I shall enjoy my final day of having your respect Actually, I think if anybody's been listening to this for two or more dollops, I think your respect for me has probably gone out the window a long time ago. 
I had a confession to make about something that I did when I was younger. I was a child, but I do still feel guilty about it to this day. And I've never admitted this to anyone else, I don't think. So here is that story. So I had cancer when I was six months old. Through that, then I lost my sight and that kind of thing. And I had to keep going back to the hospital every few months for tests. And the person who essentially saved my life was a brilliant man, Professor Kraft. So obviously I'm indebted to Professor Kraft for saving my life and for the research that he did. And a few years after, when I was about nine year old or something, I was asked if I would take part in a research project that Professor Kraft was conducting. And this was to obviously improve things for other people and, you know, maybe even come up with possible cure in the future. You know, all of these cancer research things, they're all done to find diagnoses and to find cures. And I was a part of a big research project. I don't think anybody had really laid down that, and I don't think I really quite understood. You know, at the age of eight or nine, I didn't really understand cancer as such, but all I knew was important research, and I knew that there's going to be a lot of people there, and they would be hanging on my every word. And I also had discovered that at school, a lot of teachers were impressed with me for the things that I could do because I couldn't see, but I was, I was like riding a bike and stuff like that, which is pretty impressive as a pause. Bearing in mind, I couldn't really see particularly well, but I still managed to ride a bike and I would like do all the running and stuff like that by myself and do all the climbing, which is impressive for the amount of sight that I had. But the teachers were so impressed that I decided to play up or play down the amount of sight that I had. So I was almost trying to impress the teachers more. So they would say, oh, can you see this, David, in front, this climbing wall? And I'd say, no, no, I can't, but let me have a feel. And then I'd feel it and I'd say, no, nope, I've understood this now by feel. I've understood it by touch. And I would like scale the wall and I could see it a little bit. And they would be like, this is unbelievable. He's more or less totally blind. Because he would like say, can you see the football? And I was like, no, I can't see the football, but let me see if I can hear it. And I would listen. I would pretend to listen for the ball, but really I was looking at it and I'd play football with the kids and I would pretend that I couldn't see. And they'd be like, this is unbelievable. You know, he uses all of his other senses in order to play. And I realised how impressed the teachers were and how impressed the other kids were. And at the age of eight, this is absolutely brilliant, you know. So I kind of learned that if I pretended to be more blind than I am, that it makes everything that I do more impressive. So that's kind of the philosophy I had, I suppose, when I went into this research project. So you might have started working out where this is going. So there's a lot of important people. We had all sorts of different tests that we had to do. I mean, they didn't get off to the best start when poor Professor Kraft, I nearly deafened him because I thought it was funny. As I say, I think I was only about eight or something. I thought it'd be quite funny. He was doing these, he had the stethoscope on my heart and he was checking my heart pulse. And as he put it on my heart I and he was listening intently, I realised it's kind of like a bit of a microphone, isn't it? It's sort of shaped like a, well, it is a microphone essentially. And so I picked up the stethoscope. He still had his ears attached to it and it was looking the other way like maybe making some notes or something and I shouted down the microphone hello and he sort of went ah, and sort of screamed and went backwards like clutching his head and and my dad like pulls me away from the stethoscope and Professor Kraft's sort of lying on the floor he, like falling off his chair in shock so I'd already nearly deafened the poor man bear in mind he saved my life and I've just shouted down the stethoscope in his face <laughs> That was the first part of the research. But the second bit was I had to, I was shown a series of lights and I was shown a series of shapes and, and I had to say what I could see. And I pretended I couldn't see hardly any of it. I said, no, I can't see that, I can't see that. And then they said, I'm going to shine a light in your eye here. Now, if our research is correct, you would be able to see 
through this eye. You should be able to see through this eye more. And, you, you know, you should be able to see this and you should be able to see this. And I pretended I couldn't. I think it was more about blindness research than cancer research, to be fair. It might, I might have thwarted a cure for blindness. That essentially might be what I've done. You know, a, a cure for blindness might have just been around the corner and they went, we just need... We think we've got the diagnosis right. We think we understand everything. We just need to do this one test and make sure that our findings are correct. And then I go and bugger it all up. And they're like, well, this is completely different to what we thought. Back to the drawing boards, everybody. Back to the drawing board. Yeah, I lied about absolutely everything. Just to the point where I was saying, no, I can't see that, I can't see that, and they were shining a light through my eye, and they said, well, you're, you're right. Now, they, were, they were saying things like, this is weird. His eyes are showing as if they are receiving light, but yet he can't see it, which suggests there's a part of his brain which isn't... And I left them completely bamboozled, just because I thought it would be more impressive if I pretended not to be able to see. So there you go. I sort of feel a bit better for getting that off my chest. Well, I've been getting a lot off my chest of recent. With all this coughing, I've got a bit of a chesty cough. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. She's all the way from Pennsylvania. Please give it up for chesty cough. All the way from Russia, I suppose I should have said. All the way from Russia, chesty cough. So if Professor Kraft is listening to this dollop, or anybody knows Professor Kraft, perhaps you can send him this dollop. And maybe he might be like, bloody hell. I've still got those findings. I've still got that research from 23 years ago. I knew I was right. All along, I knew I was right. Finally, we can cure blindness. It should have happened 23 years ago, but thank goodness David's come out of the woodwork and explained. Poor Professor Kraft. He saves my life and that's what he gets. Oh, what have you got there, Mr. Hughes? You're spinning a glass? It's anticipation, David Eagle. No, for, I've just ordered from the uh, using the Weatherspoons app. And what's ridiculous about this is we're not even in Weatherspoons. Exactly. So goodness knows what's going to happen. But apparently Weatherspoons has a new app. You ordered using the app two minutes ago. We're just a bit worried that you've chosen the right Weatherspoons. We're well, in exactly, Preston. Exactly. You haven't chosen Presswich or something like that. But you were spinning a glass there. Yes. You did a glass spinning. And I was thinking maybe we're going to have a bit of a competition yeah. on the dollop to see who is the best glass spinner. Oh, lovely. To see who can get the glass spinning the longest. Okay. So, Michael, how are you spinning it there? One, two, three. Really Hang on. Though. You've got it. Are you leaving go? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> how are you doing it? I'm just literally going from side to side. So you weren't actually doing anything? No, no, nothing revolutionary. Oh, right. Well, revolutionary. Very good. Because, of course, it's all about revolutions and the spinning. Well, maybe we should do it with a coin. That might be safer. Yeah, let's do it with a coin. I'm not sure why we're doing this now. It's just I heard that sound. I thought that would be an interesting little way of starting the dollop. But uh, now I'm starting to think it isn't. But we'll, we'll keep going with it. Um, Sean and Michael are gonna, and myself are going to have a tossing competition. Ladies and gentlemen, um, but before we do that, let's throw a coin. <laughs> Shall I start? I'm going to be the worst one. We'll see how long it goes for. Spin, spin it the longest. Okay, here we go. I'm going to be rubbish at this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven seconds. Mr. Guni, toss your coin. Just be worried about these drinks that we've ordered on the app now. We're getting thirsty. <laughs> this is Sean Kenyon. You remember him from such things as Dollop 297. I was quite drunk on the Monday night Dollop. <laughs> I do apologise, Mother. Already. Hey, I'm going for it. Will you move your movie nose, please? Go! One. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go on. <laughs> she just put it on the thing. How did you do it? I don't know how you right. do it. Just Here you go. Like yeah. like, right. One. <laughs> okay, that'll do. Mr. Hughes, you've got seven seconds to beat. I'm in the lead so far. Are you ready? One. <laughs> Still going. Four, five, six, 
six. Oh, yes, please. The other bit of news is that the app has worked. Enjoy. Thank you. So I am victorious in the coin tossing competition. So we were chatting a few minutes ago about various drunken escapades because recently, oh, Andy Bell, who was on uh, the Tollop from two days ago, we went to his stag party and there are elements of it that I can't remember and there are elements of it that Sean can't remember either but Sean's memory seems to have miraculously come back. I don't want to swear on your dollop. I know who listens, your dad. My dad's it's fine, Andy, it's fine. Well, we also talk, hey, talking about that, we also realised after we did our big drunken dollop that the head of the schools project that we're doing at the moment, David, he also listens. He is a dollop regular oh, yes. listener. And we realised it was only after we'd done the whole thing with us, of us being massively drunk that we realised that he listened. So now he knows what we get up to on a school night, I suppose, which is a little bit of a thing. Although we weren't, we weren't too bad. I mean, if the worst that happens is we sing Catholic hymns slightly out of tune, <laughs> it's not really. We can't, we can't possibly do a project with those. Um, no, it would be interesting to hear, though. So when you say you don't want to swear, is that suggesting that there is swearing involved oh, yeah, in the yeah, retelling uh, of the anecdotes? Uh, yeah, it was all coming out of your... Um of my what? I don't think. Uh, my goodness, as a cliffhanger listeners, until tomorrow. Thank you for listening. <laughs> this is a couple of weeks ago now, and at the time, I woke up and said there are patches of the night that I can't remember, and you also couldn't remember them, but your memory seems to have recovered, and yes. you are now going to reveal to us what happened on the stag night. It was uh, an amazing evening, celebrating the, uh, the forthcoming nuptials of Andy Bell, who featured on Monday's Dump. We arrived, yourself and I, had an Italian restaurant in the middle of York, 7pm. We knew there were a lot of people coming on the stag do. We were early and we were ushered to our table before anybody else arrived and sat at the end of a 30-seater table on our own for about half an hour. Yeah, we did to the amusement of everyone else in the restaurant. It's also added to the embarrassment that we spend so much time with each other anyway, so then yes. we had to then having half an hour conversation with each other. When Bear and Man, we, you know, we, we do talk, obviously. Yes. But there are times that we know each other so well. You know, we don't have to talk all the time. It'd be absolutely ridiculous to talk all the time. We sat in the van for about three hours the night before, not speaking to each other, because we've exhausted all yes. possible conversation. Yes. And then we get to the stag party, and there's only me and you me and sitting me, on this yeah. thing. And we have to sort of have a conversation for half an hour. But what can you say to someone who well, you've exhausted? Have to, but you were insistent. Well, no, we didn't have to, but what do you say to someone who you... Who you know every little incidental detail about. It's very difficult to have a conversation with someone like that. I can understand why married couples don't often, you know, like you'll see them at the, when we go to hotels and stuff and you see an old married couple, they're not talking. Yes. And you think, oh, that's because they talk all the time. They, they know so much about themselves. You can't expect them gabbering on. Gabbering, is that a word? So, continue, Mr. Killing. I hasten to add to the listeners, this isn't where my mind blanks yes. out. The beers began to flow. We yeah. moved on to a lovely pub and our little stag do had a separate function room. Yeah, which we didn't turn up in in the end. We, we found me and Sean were enjoying ourselves. <laughs> our own company so much, we hadn't even bothered to join them at this point. The night got interesting when yeah. uh, you somehow got onto a round with some people and they bought you a espresso martini. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really much of a coffee drinker. It does right. tend to go to my head. So the mix of coffee and alcohol compounded things yeah. somewhat, I think it's safe to say. We went back into the private room and Andy Bell the Stag uh, was set. We always call him that, by the way, Andy Bell the Stag. 
It was just so happened. Yeah. It just so happened to be a stag do on this particular oh. night. But anyway, <laughs> was set a series of musical challenges. Ah, yeah. Uh, because he's a, an award-winning uh, sound engineer and has produced loads of great records over the years, and lots of people in there were the people who made these records with him. His friends gave him the challenge that they'd read out lyrics from the albums he's produced, and he'd have to guess which album they came from and the, the year and the name of the song. <laughs> he didn't get a single one right. <laughs> I remember that bit. This is when it starts to get hazy. Well, it, I realised your memory lacked in this department because on the train back from York Station the morning after, John Borden, the famous John Borden, got on the train and sat down next to us and said, Oh, great, now we got some songs in last night, lads. And you said, What? And he said, Well, yeah, you, you were leading them, Dave. Yeah, and I So you no... actually led the singer around. We did, we did a round about mangoes, another one about pigs. Yeah. Uh, we sang The Wild Rover, various songs. Absolutely no recollection well, of that knew, whatsoever. I knew that because you were in, in quite a state, if you don't mind me saying, I knew that it was probably wise at one o'clock in the morning, whilst the others and Andy Bell the Stag were going to a nightclub, that we should seek out the refuge of our hotel, which unfortunately was an hour's walk away. So we needed to get a taxi. No taxi would drive past us, let alone stop for us, as your legs flailed wildly in the drunken breeze. Oh, we were literally walked for 40 minutes trying to find a taxi rank. <laughs> people ignored us. So it'd probably be better off just walking the hour's walk to the actual place you were going. Well, no, because you couldn't walk, because every time you reached an object like a lamppost, you, you swung your arms around it and did a little spinning wheel sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I couldn't sort of grab hold of you. You were wobbling from side to side and cars were nearby. And at one point I said to you, David, you're going to get yourself killed here, which you answered, I've never been killed before. <laughs> well, that's uh, fairly good logic. As a man with a fish supper jumped out of your way and there was a couple of taxis there and they saw us coming and they said oh no we're not taking you lads yeah oh, you're absolutely I'm a you lads you've got to sober up before you get in he only wound his window down like an inch you know for him to tell us this message and obviously the doors were locked but you were pulling on the back door going let me in my friend open this door my friend open this door <laughs> so that taxi went and as the next one came I was expecting the same thing. You're telling thing. me that master stroke didn't work? No, it didn't. Well, surprisingly, no. that, isn't it? So the next taxi came in, and now I was I was annoyed, you know, I was, we'd been walking for 40 minutes, and I tried to persuade the taxi driver that the reason you were wobbling so wildly was because you had a sight issue, not because you were hammered. And he told me, he said, now you calm down, you calm <laughs> down, mate, there's no need to shout. And I was convinced I wasn't shouting, but maybe I was. <laughs> Uh, at which point you were still trying to grab open the door, open this door my friend. <laughs> I gave up on this taxi driver after he shouted at me and went to the next one. But this taxi driver turned out to be a very nice one because whilst I was cursing him walking down the road towards the next taxi, which I was convinced would not take us, this guy had managed somehow to persuade you to stick your mouth into the half inch of open oh. window that he'd provided <laughs> to ascertain whether or not the story about you being visually impaired was true. Ah, he how long have you, so he asked me all the normal questions, how long have you been without eyes? Yes. <laughs> and that kind of thing. He concluded that it was true, was at which point you triumphantly shouted, Mr. Gordon, where are you, Mr. Gordon? And to the incredible bewilderment of everyone in the taxi rank, we managed to get a taxi. This guy listened to I don't know how you've done that, mate. I don't know, well done, I just don't know how you've done that. I've been, I've been getting drunk in York for 20 years. And I've never seen two lads, listen to you, get a taxi. 
but we got in. I was reeling because I was mortified that I'd shouted at this guy and <laughs> was in an argument. And I'm a quite a peaceful man. I'd like to. You're think quite I a peaceful am. man, yes. So I mean, you'd only have really a fist fight every couple of weeks. That really upset me. So I was in a bit of a mood. And whereas you were in the front seat and were determined to thank this man for his amazing gesture mm -hmm. by making some incredible drunken <laughs> small talk, and as we pulled away from the taxi driver, you said, "So, so my man, how are you?" A single man? <laughs> or have you a other? <laughs> Which by the guy said, Well, I'm uh, I'm married, if that's what you're trying to say, mate. <laughs> ah, yes, very good, very good. Ah, yeah. Well, okay then. We've ascertained that. Now, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got back eventually, anyway. Sean and Lou. The great irony of the whole episode was the fact that the following morning, only one of us had a, an enormous hangover and felt very, very ill. And of course, dear listeners, it was me. <laughs> and I was absolutely. David annoying. jumped out of bed <laughs> with the taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said you were married, my friend. I'm sorry. Would you say that's the drunkenest you've ever seen, David? Yeah, at one point he was swearing at his feet. Let's well, because I was quite annoyed that we couldn't find this taxi right and I couldn't grab hold of Dave, who was flailing off wildly into walls and takeaway eaters. And then I heard Dave swearing, and he went, you And I said, oh, Dave, come on, you don't have to swear at me. I'm, I'm trying to help you. All I want to do is get home. And he said, oh, I'm not swearing at you. Swearing at my feet, it won't work, you. <laughs> so that was one thing, and then another thing was you at one point just said, Let's just stop here. Let's just sit down here. <laughs> so Dave, we're in the middle of York, it's one o'clock in the morning. You know, we can't stay here all night. We can't stay here. We've got to Yes, we can. We can stay here all night. We can stand here. <laughs> Fine. It's not too cold. Let's just stay here. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the only thing else as drunk as you've seen before. Yeah, yeah, I'd say the only weird time that I can't remember a, an incident was a time when I was banned out of the university bar and then apparently I was rolling around naked in my halls of residence corridor and, um, and a girl in my halls apparently picked me up and carried me to bed. Well, well if that's the pudding technique, nothing else that's what works Well, nothing else happened between us, but I'm sure it was very hard for her. I mean, by which I mean, by which I mean, very difficult for her oh, right. not to have succumbed to the temptation that no doubt there was seeing me, as opposed to me there referencing the rigidity of my penis. Um, but I'm sure it was very hard for her to resist. There we are, my friends. We have reached dollop 300. As of tomorrow, we will be in the 300th dollop. Until dollop 300, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's difficult. We'll get there. I'm trying to do like a run-up. I thought I'd pull out all the stops from back home at the piano, and I'm going to use the piano for today's dollop, so I thought I'd start with the theme tune, as it's the uh, 300th dollop, and I thought I'd do something extra special, try and do a bit of a run-up here. But um, it's proving quite difficult. Hang on. No. On. Bear with me, everybody. It's not like you've got anything better to do, is it? Your, your bake off's finished now, it's fine.
David's Daily Digital Dollop Dollop 300. That's not the principal reason I'm at the piano. The principal reason is because I'm going to sing you a song that I wrote quite a few years ago. I was reminded of it because of the dollop from a couple of days ago. This is a song I wrote as a teenager. And we've done a lot of these things, revisiting songs from when I was a teenager that I wrote and putting them on the dollop. And here is another one. I hope you uh, enjoy this particular offering. Quite a sensitive one, this one. I know I may surprise you. You might have not thought I could do sensitive, but this story, I think, requires sensitivity. Maybe I didn't treat you quite as good as I should have. And maybe I didn't visit you Quite as often as I should have There's no point in telling lies I'm the doctor who obliterated your eyes I'm the one who made you blind I'm the one who made you blind have said and done I just didn't find the time I'm the one who made you blind He's the one who made you blind I'm the one who made you blind In the musical of my life obviously I'll be getting actors to do that bit, other people to do that bit as, you know, the he's the one who made you blind. It won't be the same singer, obviously that would sound ridiculous, but, you know, I'm just me here, so. Sorry, I gave you drugs instead for muscular dystrophy. I hope that you don't mind, don't mind. That'll be the, the sort of the backing singers doing that, don't mind bit. And you can find it in your heart to leave the past behind. Though I'm the one who made you blind He's the one who made you blind I'm the one who made you blind Maybe I didn't treat you Quite as good as I should have done Maybe I didn't visit you Quite as often as I should have done And for that I apologise I was preoccupied between a nurse's thighs I'm the one who made you blind He's the one who made you blind I'm the one who made you blind Ah, now you might think that was a mistake or you might think that was an unusual call to end on but it goes into the next part of the musical, David Eagle musical um, <laughs> 
There isn't David Eagle the musical. I haven't written one. That's a standalone song that I wrote, I think, when I was 15 year old. I don't know, I assume it was just a flippant song, but it might have been born out of a Great Depression. Who knows? But either way, it's not true. As he explained a couple of days ago, I am indebted to the doctors who saved my life. But never let that get in the way of a good song, eh? But I think it is important that I do redress the balance. So I have written a positive song about doctors, and I'll play that one for you tomorrow. It's all about Harold Shipman. It's called Harold Shipman wasn't that bad, really, was he? David's Daily Digital Dollop Dollop 301 Twice Bitten I bit my lip again today I say again because, as dollop regulars will obviously remember, I marked my last lip-biting episode in a previous dollop entitled The Pain-Inducing Hubris of the Autonomic Nervous System, which was, of course, dollop nerds. Yep, that's right. Dollop 260. Give yourselves a dollop point, dollop nerds. Dollop points can be readily transferred into free consultation time at a psychiatric clinic, which, let's face it, will probably come in handy. In dollop 260, I wrote... I seem to bite my lip about once every six weeks. This was purely a conjecture. However, one good thing about doing these dollops is I'm able to bite my lip and then check when the last time was that I bit my lip. This perk certainly makes all the work worthwhile. So my prediction was a lip bite about once every six weeks. And if these statistics are anything to go by, this is about right. Obviously, this isn't in any way definitive, given that I only have two lip-biting episodes diarised. However, the exciting news is that the next time that I bite my lip, I will be able to gain more of an idea of the frequency of these lip-biting incidents. If the current trend continues, then I should bite my lip again before the end of the year, and the end of this project. By which I mean the David's Daily Digital Dollar Project, as opposed to my lip-biting analysis project, which is merely in its first stages. Rest assured, however, that if my next lip-biting happens after the dollops have finished, then obviously I will release a special bonus dollop in order to journal this. I'm sure that the majority of my listeners are excited by this additional element of drama that has been created here in these dollops, but they might be a bit frustrated that I didn't start this from the beginning of the year. After all, it's a wasted opportunity. And with the benefit of hindsight, I agree. However, I am aware that there may be a few of you who are less enthused by this. There may even be some of you who don't see any point or interest in this lip-biting journaling idea at all, and you just wish that I'd shut up about it and move on to something more exciting, like Wi-Fi-enabled kettles. But hang on a minute, because this project potentially has a practical use. If I discover that I bite my lip about once every 40 days, then maybe I can do something to combat this accidental lip-biting altogether. In Dollop 260, where I last talked about this subject, I mused as to why this happens every six weeks or so. After all, my brain clearly knows what it's doing when it's eating, yet now and again it seems to malfunction and I bite my lip. If I discover that this happens about once every 40 days, then I can eradicate these lip-biting incidents by paying more conscious attention to my eating around about the 40th day and for the surrounding couple of days. Or maybe I would make an even more startling discovery and deduce that it occurs cyclically exactly every 40 days. Who knows? I might even discover that the 40-day lip-biting cycle is universally applicable and my groundbreaking scientific discovery might lead to a complete eradication of lip biting altogether. No more split lips, no more ulcers and blisters. So think on that when you ridicule my project, because you won't be so cocky when I'm receiving the Nobel Prize for Science. Who knows what might happen? This discovery could take me to places. The world is my oyster. 
and I'll be able to eat that oyster without any fear of lip-biting incidents, thanks to my amazing life-changing work. Sometimes the dollops are a work of comedy genius, other times they are serious, paradigm-shifting and life-altering. There is just no knowing. David's Daily Digital Dollop, Dollop 200 and... No, hang on. I'm so used to seeing it, but we are up to 302. So, yesterday's dollop received a few comments, so I thought I would read those out and comment upon them. You know, it's nice to do that from time to time, you know, make you feel wanted. It's good for the fans, good for the fans. Keeps them happy. So yesterday's dollop was all about me biting my lip, and I was trying to work out the frequency with which I bite my lip, bearing in mind that the last time I bit my lip was dollop 260, and then I bit my lip on dollop 301, so it's roughly every 40 days so far. Unfortunately, I didn't start the project when the dollop started, so I may have bit my lip and didn't think to write about it. It was only on the 260th dollop that I chose to write about my lip biting. Of course, as you would expect, this has led to quite a few comments coming through. Jill says, My dear boy, never has there been a more timely dolloping of a dollop into my inbox. I was on a train between Derby and Crewe. Derby County have played at home to Stoke this afternoon. But the train company did not have the capacity or the foresight to put more than one carriage on for the journey. We were packed in like sardines. I was squashed by the door, and the football fans were restless and loud. I sent a text to the friend who is meeting me, describing the situation, and ended with saying that the fans were grumpy. The one standing behind me, who unknown to me had been reading my typing, tried to start an argument with me. Why are you saying we're grumpy? We're not grumpy. Anyway, just then the latest dollop appeared in my inbox, which I proceeded to read and laugh out loud at, keeping the font as small as possible so that he couldn't read over my shoulder. Turns out that he didn't like me laughing either. A small victory, and you cheered up my journey no end. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope your lip feels better super quick. Oh, nice bit of rhyming couplet there. Jill, excellent. I await the results of your scientific study with interest. Um, thank you, Jill. I thought the way the story was going there that you were going to say you got into a bit of an argument because you said he was grumpy and then he said we're not grumpy and there was a bit of a moment and then the dollop came into the inbox you saw that the dollop had been released you started reading that you started laughing out loud he started glaring at you because you were laughing out loud and then looked at the screen to see what you were laughing at and then he couldn't help himself he started laughing as well and before you know it you were both laughing together Maybe, you know, maybe it was just a friendship thing. You both sort of made friends. Or maybe at that moment your hands met across the train carriage and you were you started holding hands. And maybe more, maybe more emerged. Uh, when I say more emerged, I don't mean like that, Jill. I'm sure you're not that kind of woman, not on a public train. And the dollop brought you together. You were bickering, but then you became friends through the dollop. Unfortunately not. But a nice story anyway. So thank you, Jill. Michael Wackington's back. I've just had a little read of this. I'm a bit confused as to what he's on about. He's written, the first bit he's written is dollop 30. Cheek-biting incidents. Now, I am no professor of applied statistics, but my reckoning from dollop 1 to dollop 260, there had been no biting incidents, unless there were some that were not worthy of mentioning. In which case, you have a biting incident on average every 150.5 days. I'm not exactly sure how you've done the maths here. But, Michael, firstly, I'm a bit confused what this is all about. Why have you started the sentence with dollop 30? You've written dollop 30, then you've written cheek-biting incidents. 
I looked at dollop 30 and I've not mentioned biting my lip. So why have you mentioned dollop 30? What's all that about, Michael? And also, as I pointed out in the dollop, I may have bit my lip, but I just didn't mention it in the dollop. I have absolutely no idea. I think I did, because I say it happens once every six weeks or so. So I think I, if I wouldn't have said that if I hadn't bit my lip for 260 days. So I think you've just got to assume that I didn't mention it in the dollop. I mean, there were so many other fascinating things to write about, and I wasn't aware at the time. I know, I hadn't realised. I hadn't caught the zeitgeist. Uh, I wasn't aware at the time that talking about me biting my lip would have garnered such an interest. I mean, now it seems so obvious. So he says, that makes it once every 21 weeks or so. Having undertaken a quick Google search, there appears to be no information on the frequency of accidental cheek biting syndrome. Oh, I've just made up a name for your condition. ACB syndrome. So, I urge you to set up a foundation to study ACB. You megastars always need a foundation to support. Think of Bill and Miranda Gates. As a start, all dollopers could record all incidents of ACB. I think we're referring to people as dollopees rather than dollopers. Because I'm a dolloper, Michael, and you are a dollopee. I think that's what we've decided. We haven't come up with a better collective name, but I don't think you can class yourself as a dolloper. I'm getting ideas above his station here. Just because you leave a few comments. Even if you have left a comment that is longer than the actual dollop that I wrote, probably. You still can't call yourself a dolloper. As a start, all dollopers, i.e. dollopees, could record incidents of ACB so that we can initiate a database. I am happy to be the first CEO, and we can discuss my starting salary at the first board meeting. I am pretty sure as a multiple winner of the radio or two fork group for two years running, you can endow the foundation with sufficient resources to make this a success. Well, maybe. I'll have a look. We could maybe start up a Kickstarter campaign or something like that, Michael. But I think the fact that you've done the Googling and there's no information, really, about this on the internet, I think you've identified a need there. And I think we really do need to uh, get cracking with this. So if you bite your lip, listeners, then please do let me know and uh, keep me abreast That'll be brilliant. We've got a comment now from Isabel, as in my ex-girlfriend. She's been my ex for quite some time. If you're just thinking, that's a bit harsh. I haven't broken up with her just now. On the dollop. She writes, Uh, I don't remember you ever biting your lip. I like the fact that she starts with, uh, she's really given it some thought there. Uh, I don't remember you ever biting your lip. Your tongue, maybe. Oh, I, I bit my tongue many times in our relationship, Isabel. Oh, 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 only joking. Or are you including all mouth injuries? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think it's worth, Isabel, I think it's worth recording all incidents of mouth injuries inflicted by my teeth. And then we might start noticing patterns. I think it's it's worth doing that. <laughs> I can't think of why you broke up with me. <laughs> I mean, come on, you must read a dollop like that. You know, me talking about biting my lip and collating the statistics, and you must think, my God, why did I make such a rash decision? Actually, I think it was because of the rash that she made the decision. But uh, let's not get all personal and talk about that. It's a private thing. It's a private thing. Thank you very much for all of your comments, and I'm glad that you're taking this research seriously. But yeah, I don't know whether there are any other diaries, maybe like famous diaries, that may have mentioned lip biting. For instance, the diary of Samuel Pepys. Does he ever mention biting his lip? I'm not sure if he thought to include that or not, but if there is, that would be brilliant. Who else? Anne Frank. Maybe she would have talked about biting her lip now and again. I grant you, I think she probably had other things on her mind that were more important, but you never know. I'll have to give the Diaries of Anne Frank a reread and look out for any mention of lip biting. That might be a way forward. Any other famous diaries? The Diary of Adrian Mole. Did he ever bite his lip? I don't know. We should um, investigate further. 
But there are all sorts of avenues that we can explore here. In the meantime, you can let me know any time that you bank your lip. Exciting times, though. Exciting research ahead. And please, I don't want anyone lying in this research. You know, I know that I, in the past, have admitted, I admitted a few days ago that I lied to a professor when he was doing some important research about blindness. But I have repented for that. I was about eight at the time, and I have repented for that. I did repent for that, so don't think this is a chance to get your own back. Maybe Professor Kraft's listening to these dollops. And he thinks, finally, it's my time to get my own back. I've been waiting for a moment like this. And he starts sending me bogus bits of information, saying, oh, I'll pick my lip again. Unbelievable, David. Three days later, I'll pick my lip again. Unbelievable, David. 17 days later, I'll pick my lip again. I've got this just doesn't correlate with what I expected. And he's sitting there laughing thinking finally I've got my revenge revenge is sweet and I'm going to pretend that I've eaten me sweet and I've bit my lip when I was eating it even though I haven't and I'm going to email it to David so please we don't want any kind of like a vigilante attack on this project with people sending in bogus lip biting incidents thank you very much so a couple of days ago, I went to a party, a friend's party, a house party, and we had a game of Articulate, the game where you have to describe a word without using that word. Obviously, there's a bit of a crap game. And you're not allowed to say what it rhymes with, and there are other rules as well, but you have to describe the word. There were a few odd things that were going on at the party. A friend at the party got rather drunk. Someone whispered to me to record the night uh, so that we would have it for posterity, uh, so that we could listen to the incriminating evidence back at some point. So I did, and because of that, I have the game of Articulate that we played. So I thought in this dollop I would play my goals trying to describe words for the others to guess, and uh, see how well you do in comparison to how well they did. There are quite a few examples of times, I think, where I gave pretty good clues, pretty solid clues, but they just didn't get it at all. In fact, I was surprised by their lack of knowledge when it came to certain things. See how you do. Play along. So that's today's dollop. It's time to play a game of Articulate. Everybody have a first name. Everybody have a first name. Abreast. Another way for abreast. Tit. Yes. Put a vowel on the end. Tit. No. Another vowel. Tit. Another vowel. There's one up. No. Open your one down. One down, you idiot. No. I O I U. On the next one. R E I O N O. Tit. Tit. Marshall Tittle? It's Marshall-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-Tittle-
Once you got the word nigh, you go, Algeria! You've been shouting it five times, why don't you say country in Africa? Yeah! Because I assume. I assume they would know nigh You could assume it the first time, maybe after the fourth time, maybe. Well, I would have assumed, wouldn't I? Bloody hell, nobody's Bevin playing the cricket. Tony Hawk's book, playing the cricket. Brilliant What is it? What? Playing the at cricket. What is it? Playing the Maldives at cricket. Bloody hell, it's a book. Tony oh, Hawks. Maldives? Playing the Maldives yeah. at cricket. Nobody else is over the blue. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But anyway. There's in them hills to you. I am. And the other word? Oh, excellent. <laughs> okay, it's a comedy thing. It's not a skit, but it's a. Uh, you also in your draw? Sketch. Yeah. Whip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Oh, okay, and you sing to me. You live your life a life like a candle. candle. Yeah, okay. It's what you put water in, it's also a cafe. Cafe is what you put water in, cafe. In a, in a cafe, it's another word for a cafe. It's another word for a cafe. It's another word for a cafe. No, no, it's the same letter. It's two syllables. No, it's a cafe and it begins with the same. You brilliant idiot canteen! You fool! Canteen! Ow! Shake this chair over and over again. You shut that up. What you do to a whale to kill it? Spike. No, that's. Yes. Rapooning. Yes. Yes, I'm looking at you. No, the same word as same letter as that though. No. Yes, well done. We are trying to sort something out, so we are organising arranging. Oh yes, well done. Well done, Hannah. Okay. Okay, we're trying to mathematical. It's a mathematical something, a simultaneous equation. Yes, or the ing word. Equating. Yes. Okay. Zippy, George, and Bungle. Put an ING on that. Bungling. Yes. <laughs> Illuminati. Eh. What are the Illuminati? <laughs> they are something people. <laughs> bit loaded, dude. The Illuminati. <laughs> the Illuminati. What are the Illuminati? They're insects. The Illuminati. They're something people. There's something. The wonderful something of ours. Right. And put us something amazing. Lizard, yes, you bloody Lizard. idiot. Lizard, no point beating about the bush. Wah, 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 what's doing that noise? Yeah. Mummy, wah, wah, no, bloody nothing in. Wah, wah, don't be a big, big, baby, bush baby, yes, yes. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. The Illuminati are lizard people. How can you not know that? So is it, I really don't know. Is, it, is Illuminati another name for lizard? Is it, is it fictional thing or is it a real thing? No, it's a pretty conspiracy, isn't it? The world is run by lizard people. It's a massive conspiracy. Right, well, I've never heard of it. How? I mean, bloody hell, Bush baby. At one point, I'm going, wah, wah. He's going, plonk Brendan. What? So, I'm talking non-stop, I'm talking something shit. No, the I'm talking all the time, continuously, I'm talking No, I'm talking continuously, I'm talking constantly, I'm talking Incessantly! 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 
Huh?